Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be breaking down the Thunder's trade deadline. Just the, the one move that we had, so I guess the movement and the lack of, sort of, and kind of going to be talking about the future because there are going to be more transactions that are going to be trickling in, and as I have recorded this, there's already been one. So, honestly, the thing yesterday was I wanted to do this, like, live. I wanted to get you guys, like, one about the Thunder, and then maybe the next day I would talk about just the league in general. I had a lot of stuff to do. I actually posted maybe, like, five or six articles yesterday on my website. Uh, just going over, like, Thunder rumors and all that. Kendrick Williams was supposed to be unlikely. I talked to Keith Smith. Um, he's a pretty good he's a pretty credible writer and um he had comments on al horford on whether he'd go to the boston or not i had that interview saved i don't know if i'm going to use it in this episode but i talked to him about that just a lot of stuff was going on and whenever i finished there was just not a lot of time because i was kind of just riding 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 so i i try to get this out to you guys today so tomorrow i might go over the entire nba landscape but as of this episode, I kind of just want to break down the Thunder's move, my opinion on that, and kind of just looking at this long term, what the roster is kind of assembled as right now. So as we know, I mean, we came into this trade deadline expecting to move at least three guys. Like, that's what I thought. I thought that George Hill was a lock. I thought Mike Muscala was a lock. I thought that, honestly, Kendrick Williams would have been given away for a decent price uh, if there was an offer somewhere there. And then I also thought there were guys who could find themselves in deals. I thought that Darius Miller, I mean, he has a $7 million expiring contract. He's not really going to be valuable in a playoff push, but he gives you the salary cap and he's the ideal person you would put in a three-team deal. I feel like whoever gets him, you know, they might be able to use him kind of scarcely, but it's better than some of the other guys they'd get for $7 million, you know? So you can do him. Justin Jackson's kind of on that same boat. But I, I at least thought George Hill and Muscala were out the door. And then, you know, you get to Kenrich, you get to some of those other guys. I still kind of felt strongly about it. So I thought that Sam Presti was going to be controlling the tables, be one of the controlling forces in the trade deadline. And he just was not. He kind of, I guess, was letting everything play out. Honestly, I think that he probably had a lot more than one deal on the table. But they kind of fell through because um, Miami, whenever they were negotiating for Kyle Lowry, I think they were looking for the 2023 pick. We have that pick right now. They have like a lottery protection on it. They wanted to take that away probably for a deal. And if that were to happen, we would have wound up with some sort of assets in return. So I think that's kind of something to note. I think that Sam Presti wasn't only going in this thing expecting one deal. I think, you know, he was looking to get everybody kind of out the door if possible because he's trying to move in a younger direction, but it's kind of difficult to do that. And, you know, you have a decent amount of contenders, so you'd think some of them will bite. Just not enough went after all of our pieces. That's how that happened. I also think that just, as I mentioned, deals falling through like the Lowry trade probably hurt a little bit in terms of, what we were able to do, and then just a lot more sellers showing up. My or not Miami, the Magic. I mean, they just kind of had a a fire sale here, giving up Vucevic and Evan Fournier. Aaron Gordon's gone. Just not a lot, not a lot. There's a lot of guys trying to compete, and 
you know, when it came down to it, there were not that many big names in the mix where you needed three team trades. I didn't count exactly how many three team deals there were, but I think Oklahoma City might be, I guess, yeah, I think there was like one other three team trade. So there were only like two three team deals that entire time, which is kind of unprecedented for a trade deadline, honestly. We, we've seen some big trades before. But anyways, just going into our one trade that the Thunder were able to pull off, this came at like 11 a.m., and, you know, when this kind of started, it seemed like maybe there'd be a domino effect. Wasn't for us. Definitely was for the league because they actually set a record number of trades, or at least in the past 35 years, they haven't had as many as this year. They had 16 of them with 23 teams involved. But for our deal... We were able to get back Tony Bradley, Austin Rivers, and two second-round picks from the Philadelphia 76ers. Those picks, 2025 and 2026. So we don't get one in 2027. That's the one where we are just stockpiling a ton of those picks. For whatever reason, I honestly could not tell you. But we get a good guy, or at least a decent project at the center spot in Tony Bradley. You get Austin Rivers, a veteran, and you get two second-round picks from Philadelphia, and all we had to give up for him was George Hill, and when it came to what Philadelphia was getting, they were getting him, and then they got Ignaz Brogdingus, I think, from the Knicks. He, he doesn't really play, and then the Knicks, all they got, well, they actually did get a decent amount of stuff here. They did get Terrence Ferguson, Vincent Poirier, rights to some dude who's never going to be coming over and then they got two second round picks but their second second round pick has some protections on it so the only way they're getting it is if it falls from 56 through 60 so it's really not going to happen anyways i think from everyone's perspective it's probably a good deal i feel like the knicks maybe they want to try to mold around terrence ferguson he looked like he'd be a pretty good athlete whenever he was coming out of high school like his mixtapes were ridiculous this dude had hops like Hamadou Diallo damn near, and he just wasn't able to get it together. Goes over to Philadelphia. He has not played, and now New York, I guess, wants to shot with him. And then they also collect picks, and they get off a contract in Austin Rivers, who, quite frankly, they probably do not want, considering they have Emmanuel quickly kind of on the up and up there. But when it comes down to our haul here, I am actually kind of surprised in what we got, and maybe in retrospect, I shouldn't be. I think that the value for George Hill was going to be around two second round picks, but I don't know. I think that um, whenever there were deals coming in, the the situation always was, if we're making a deal with Philadelphia, we're going to be getting one or two second round picks, Tony Bradley and Mike Scott to make the money work. We completely went around Mike Scott. We did not get him $5 million expiring. He'd be cool to just let off the books, but he doesn't have any future. We can't flip him. He's kind of just dead money. So we didn't have to get him. We got a third team in New York to give us Austin Rivers, a player that he's on a three-year, $10 million contract. And the next two years are non-guaranteed. So the only guaranteed season is the one he is currently playing. It lets us buy him out if we want to. And then also, he's only like 28 years old anyways. And he's kind of been a solid veteran all throughout his career. I think that maybe over the offseason, you could try to get a second round pick out of him. If not, you don't really need to worry. You can just wave the guy. And then also, you also need to keep in the back of your head, we could just wave him right now and get that three mil just off the books and get another open roster space. But that's what my kind of surprise uh, 
was. I didn't think we'd get Austin Rivers. I thought we'd get Mike Scott for sure if we were train, training with uh, Philadelphia there. But, you know, I think that ultimately why we got two second-round picks with this was because of a prior trade. And I've been listening to other people talking about it, and it seems like the common consensus is Evan Fournier kind of set the table for everything that happened yesterday. Evan Fournier, 20-point-per-game scorer on an expiring deal. Boston gets him for two second-round picks. That is a pretty big steal for them, to be quite honest with you. But they give up two second-round picks to get Evan Fournier. And, you know, you saw a lot of deals where two second-round picks were kind of the the main draw to teams. You didn't see any first-round picks really moving around for the most part. So you get the two seconds, and in our case, that's exactly what we got. But I don't think Evan Fournier is really comparable to uh, George Hill at all to be quite honest with you, because he's on an expiring. He's making a lot of money. George Hill's more like a cheap option, and he's at a point guard position, which means a lot. I think wings, for the most part, you know, good wings like Fournier are hard to come by, but I feel like filling out the roster with wings, there's a little bit more of a pool to play with as opposed to point guards. So George Hill, very good. But another player who's very good is DeLon Wright. And I talked about this, I think I might have talked about this um, in my last podcast or the one before that. I know I talked about it on my website. But DeLon Wright, him and George Hill were in the exact same bracket in this whole pyramid of trade assets. They were in the same category together. You had on the top, you had Kyle Lowry, and then you had guys like Lonzo Ball, who he didn't get traded, but... He does have a lot of value, and obviously, you would take a 23-year-old over George Hill or DeLon Wright any day of the week, so he had a higher value, so did Kyle Lowry, but there wasn't really that, like, fluid transition. I feel like, you know, there's a little bit of a drop-off from Lonzo Ball, but DeLon Wright and George Hill are still pretty serviceable, and I think they were probably the third and fourth best players left on the board. Before that, or after that, I guess, you gotta start sinking down to players such as Austin Rivers, Rajon Rondo, those kind of people who ended up getting moved. But there is a real value there. Teams need point guards to contend. And without a ball handler, you're kind of screwed. So this is a deal that happened not on deadline day. This happened on Wednesday. But I think it was very, very significant in how we were able to get so much for George Hill. And DeLon Wright, he got traded to Sacramento for two second-round picks in Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph... Another guy who, he's kind of on an ugly contract, to be quite honest with you. He's getting up there in age at this point, and, you know, I don't really know where you work around moving forward with him, but you get a decent backup point guard for the certain frame of time, and then you also get two second-round picks, and when you're talking Kings, that 2021 second-round pick is going to be pretty nice, and then in 2024, you don't really know what you're looking at. So, you get two seconds, and then you get a veteran who... You kind of just work with later on. That's exactly the package we got, except we got a solid young player to hop on our roster immediately. We got a better package than DeLon Wright did. And I think if, you know, we change this around a little bit and DeLon Wright didn't get moved on Wednesday, there would have been calls going around where Sam Presti's trying to make deals. And whether it's Elton Brand, whether it's Jerry West, whoever the GM would be, they would pick up and they would say, you know, we have been talking to Detroit. We can get the lawn right for way cheaper. Why would we take your deal? That wasn't an option. 
So Sam Presti had all the leverage on George Hill going into yesterday, and he took full advantage of it because he not only pried away those two seconds, but he also got Tony Bradley in the process. And a guy in Austin Rivers who I'd probably take over Corey Joseph because he may have some future return for us. Now, when we're looking at Austin Rivers, honestly, I don't know if he's going to play because we always seem to have a core group of four playing the point guard and shooting guard positions. Now, Shea, with plantar fasciitis, he's going to be out a long time. So you're going to open up a huge cavity in the rotation. If Austin Rivers comes over to us, I could actually see him playing off the bench in some games. But you want to see Maladone, you want to see Jerome, you want to see Kenrich Williams, Shvi, he's looked good. You want to see that guy as well. So you have four guards, I'd say, that kind of want to fill in that rotation for you. And Rivers might be on the outside looking in anyways because he doesn't he doesn't really fit the time frame. And he's already kind of capped when it comes to potential anyways. He's a great scorer and he can go off for 20 really out of nowhere. But we want young guys who are going to be able to grow and consistently drop you know double digits and even crack 20 points every once in a while. So he's a little bit phased out when it comes to that. But if we're trying to trade him and juice his value up, I could totally see Sam Presti bringing him on, Mark Dagnall giving him time, and letting him letting him run wild. Because playing with New York, he was kind of suffocated. I don't even know why they tra- like they signed him in free agency because there was no room for him. They already had Alfred Payton. Emmanuel Quickly's looking nice. Austin Rivers is, you know, he's solid. But it's clear he didn't have a future there. So he ended up getting moved, and now... It's kind of like that same situation. He could go one of two ways where we can flip him or he's just not going to be tradable. I think if we don't get him off during like the draft or whatever, if we can't move him mid-draft, I think he's probably a guy we waive, if not sooner than that. But yeah, I mean, Austin Rivers, he's, he's a solid contributor. I think that he's kind of one of those sneaky players that I'm surprised considering what kind of point guards we're getting pulled off for absolutely like just a second round pick on its own and and all that I'm surprised someone didn't try to pick off Austin Rivers for just a second I saw Brad Wanamaker got traded for a second round pick and you know I'm not gonna lie I don't watch a lot of Brad Wanamaker anyways but I'd probably think Austin Rivers is just around that level and with him on for three years you could have him locked on for pretty cheap three mil yeah for a point guard if you can take him off the bench and trust in him all those three years you got a pretty good player to kind of hold your your playoff roster together but that's just kind of my thoughts on on rivers i think tony bradley he is a guy who he actually does have some room to grow in because he got picked by the lakers then he got traded to the utah jazz he was like a McDonald's All-American, five-star prospect, goes to North Carolina. Just that classic story that you seem to see from a lot of our players. We have a lot of blue-chip prospects that have somehow just wound up on our our roster. But anyways, that's kind of his backstory. And then he comes into Utah, and he's playing behind Rudy Gobert. And minutes, I mean, they're going to be short anyways. So he was not really getting the playing time as a rookie. Understandable. He was like a late first-round pick. But it never really picked up for him. So he still was kind of just left in this limbo. So for three years, that's really what he did. And the only outlet he really had to show off his skills was in the Summer League. And when I tell you this guy was unstoppable in Summer League, I mean it. Whenever the Utah Jazz would play the OKC Thunder in preseason games, 
Tony Bradley would be the guy dropping 20 points, 10 rebounds, and knocking us out of the, the whole damn thing, you know? So he looked very good there, but he never got a chance really at the next level. But then he ended up getting traded not once, but twice. Got traded to Detroit last offseason. Then they swapped him with Zaire Smith. Then he's in Philadelphia. And that's where he started to actually get a shot at minutes. Now, he has not been playing a lot because you had Joel Embiid. You have Dwight Howard. Those two, you can't slide him down on the four. Tony Bradley's not going to be a four either. So he's your third string. But whenever Joel Embiid has been hurt, he's actually kind of stepped up and he's been pretty good. He's averaged 5.5 points, 5.2 rebounds, and 0.7 blocks in just 14.4 minutes. So he hasn't had that chance to really just play long term. And he's going to be able to do that. And he's riding a bit of momentum entering Oklahoma City because his last game, he probably had the best game of the season, if not his career. He had 18 points on a perfect 8 of 8 shooting and 11 rebounds. Joel Embiid has praised this guy, whether it's just him being friendly or whatnot. I think it actually means something because he is a very solid piece. He's only 23 years old, and with us having Al Horford, Moses Brown, and really no other future bigs, it makes sense that we get Tony Bradley. I mean, he is a perfect match. He's going to be wrapping up his rookie contract this season. So after this, he's going to hit the open market as a restricted free agent, kind of just like Shreem Luke in the sense that, you know, we get him. He also is off the books this season, but we still have his rights. So we're kind of just testing Shvi out. I think he's kind of proved that he deserves to be staying. And then with Tony Bradley, it's going to be the exact same thing. Now, you have Moses Brown, who I am almost certain they're going to have to upgrade to a full-scale contract sometime during the season. And then you have Al Horford, who's not part of your plans. You need a second guy to kind of work around alongside Moses Brown because Isaiah Roby, he's good, but I don't know if you really want to play him at the small ball five like all the time. I feel like he probably will be better playing at the three or the four, but yeah, I I think in spurts he still works. You just need that true option, and Tony Bradley's going to be that guy for you. Now, Tony Bradley... He's about as basic as it gets. He's not going to be launching up threes for you, but he's going to be right around the basket, kind of just doing what Moses Brown does. Moses Brown, when it comes to how he's able to get offensive rebounds, he does it in a much different way. We have seen how he is. He's seven foot two, kind of just springing like a pogo stick all the time, and he's damn near ricocheting the ball back and forth against the backboard in his hand. That's not exactly what Tony Bradley does. He's very good at getting into position, but... He's able to get the same results, just not as flashy, I would probably say. Out of those 5.2 rebounds that I was talking about, two of them have been coming on the offensive glass. That is insane for a any player, to be quite honest with you. That, what would it be, like 40 some odd percent, a little bit under 40% of his rebounds are coming on the offensive side. So that's something you need to look at, and I think that's kind of something that you would want to have moving forward forward but yeah he's really just right around the basket he's not that athletic so he's not gonna be like Moses Brown is but he's kind of that basic big man that kind of he'll play a little bit bounce from team to team just that perfect journeyman that somehow sticks in the league for like eight nine years that's kind of what I see in him I don't know if that's the kind of player that Sam Presti would want to sign for more than like two years after this 
But you never know. You always kind of need those just reliable spots to fill in. And Bradley could do that. However, it's kind of difficult as a six foot ten center to really stick around if you're not like crazy athletic. And Tony Bradley, he does have some quick feet, but he doesn't have that exact kind of like vertical jump that you've seen from some of these players. He's a little bit more grounded, but he has some super long arms. His wingspan is off the charts, so that's kind of how he's able to get like scrap up the rebounds, just tipping it around. Kind of does it just like Moses Brown would. But um, I would say Moses Brown does it a lot more just off of verticality whether than just being in the right spot at the right time, if you know where I'm going with that. But yeah, I think Tony Bradley, he's a good piece that we can kind of look towards, at least for this season. I know that next season, he's probably going to be on people's radars for like a minimum contract. So, or maybe even above a minimum contract because he has looked good. But yeah, if, if we want him, we can definitely pick him up in restricted free agency that's kind of my thought when it comes to tony really not a big risk here you kind of just add him in and i mean for young assets that's not bad whatsoever it gives us the position that we need because we don't have really that many guys to hold that down moving forward and he actually looks like he could be nice um whether it's in you know time with the ones or in the second unit, I think Mark Dagnall's just going to bring him in and kind of make him a big part. But the deal is, you got three guys now who are going to be vying for minutes. And it's going to be Al Horford, Moses Brown, and now Tony Bradley. Mike Muscala was in, you know, a situation similar like a week, like a month ago. And he's not playing anymore. So it's just those three guys. And Horford, he commands about 26 minutes on any given day. He rests a lot, but when he's playing... What are you going to do with the remaining 22 minutes? Are you going to give 11 and 11? Moses Brown does not deserve 11 minutes right now. He deserves to be playing 25 a game. And then Tony Bradley, if we really want to evaluate him, we should probably give him, you know, 18, 20 minutes as well. And then Al Horford, we're trying to trade him, so we have to play him anyway. So I think what you're going to see is just a lot more resting from Al Horford. And when he's playing, he might be playing 26 minutes, but... Don't be surprised if he's out for the next two games until Adam Silver has something to say about it. So I do think they're both going to get time, and everybody's going to get a chance to prove himself. And with Shea out, Horford's probably going to be out for a good portion of these games. You are kind of set to to lose a little bit more of those, but what you're going to learn is about these players, and that's ultimately what matters when you are in the heat of a rebuild. I think when it comes to seconds... You know, you really can't base it off of anything because of how far down the line they are. But maybe somehow Philadelphia crumbles and those picks turn into something good. No Presti, it actually could pan out that way. But um, I think it's kind of wild. This isn't about Thunder. And this is probably something I'd be talking about tomorrow. But I think it's wild that, you know, George Hill fetched debatably a better offer than Victor Oladipo like Houston they got to reevaluate things because the package they got back for James Harden was worse than our package when we traded away James Harden and I'm not even kidding so we trade away James Harden we get a couple people back like Jeremy Lamb Kevin Martin picks that turn into Steven Adams yeah Steven Adams turned into George Hill turned in all these other guys and um including Kendrick Williams actually and you know we're kind of able to work with that with 
the package that the Houston Rockets got from James Harden, you know, on the surface, it actually looked pretty good because they would have been getting Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and like five first round picks in three swaps, two or three swaps from the Brooklyn Nets. And they didn't want to do that. So sent Jared Allen to the Cavs, sent Karis LeVert to the Pacers, and instead they wanted Victor Oladipo and some other, you know, chunk of change. Get Dante Exum, just kind of just some random fillers. And, you know, on uh, right now, like, it didn't look that bad. Victor Oladipo, former All-Star, didn't make sense at the time because Karis LeVert's younger on a cheaper contract and Jared Allen's a young piece. I get he doesn't work with Christian Wood or he probably wouldn't, but you'd at least hold on him and maybe trade him later. They didn't want to do that. They wanted to go all in Vic, Victor Oladipo. Didn't work out. And what do you know? They get caught up in a bidding war for Kyle Lowry. They were not able to give up Tyler Hero, or they didn't want to. So they held off on Kyle Lowry. And instead, what they did, they just get Victor Oladipo with a buzzer beater. Because Houston, they need to get rid of this guy. He's never going to play for you after this season anyway, so you might get some return. Well, the return... Pretty, pretty garbage. You get Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley, two vets who aren't going to help you. Pretty much just money that you got to carry around. And a 2022 first round draft swap that is lottery protected. That is, that is bad. And in 2022, do you really think the Houston Rockets are going to be better than the Miami Heat? Of course they're not. That's not a real asset. They got Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley. For Victor Oladipo, a former all-star defensive team, looked like a monster with the Pacers. Yeah, you gave him up for Avery Bradley and Kelly Olynyk. That is bad. And with them wanting to build for the future, you're not going to use those guys. There's no point in playing Kelly Olynyk over Christian Wood, over Kenyon Martin Jr., you know? Jay Sean Tate, just those players. So they're pretty much just going to be stashed away and they're going to be just like P.J. Tucker. They're probably just going to be sulking there and they might play a little bit here and there, but they're never going to have a real role. Their next opportunity is not going to be with the Houston Rockets. They're kind of just going to wilt away there for right now. So that was just terrible. I think that it's wild that, you know, they botched that up so bad. Houston did and Oklahoma City was able to get a better return on a guy that's 34 years old who you know, is not going to be playing for us. And you'd think that other teams might have some sort of leverage over that. But nope, they didn't. So Sam Presti, he's just doing his own thing. Houston, originally it seemed like they did all right out of the James Harden trade, but now it just looks pretty pathetic. I mean, if you want to compare it next to the Paul George deal, I'd love to do that in the next episode, but it's ridiculous. You can probably find that on the internet anyways. But I don't know, man. I think that's kind of just one of the biggest I poppers that came out of the trade deadline as i said you know some of the other things that shocked me were how we didn't move any more players outside of george hill i thought that we would be one of the main buyers and or sellers i guess and we weren't so that was a little bit of a curveball and but i I do think that we did all right anyways so if i graded it it'd probably be you know like a b b plus kind of range You'd expect more, but for that one deal in particular, I think we did pretty good coming out of that, so I don't mind it that much, but with all the deals, 
we brought back two players. We got Tony Bradley and we got Austin Rivers. And we only gave up one player in George Hill. We already had 15 players. We were riding that line the whole entire season. We finally were able to give off Diallo, but we still brought Shvi in. We give off Trevor Reza. We get Myers Leonard in. And now you get two guys in. You only let one out. Now you're at 16. You got to cut one of those guys. And they did that. And it's no surprise. Like the first move after trades came out of the Thunders camp and they they just released Myers Leonard that's not really a surprise he is a guy who is not going to get picked up he was on a team option for next season it's like 10 million dollars you wouldn't give it to him anyways and especially you know what has been going on with him you're of course not going to pay him that money so he would have been gone anyways and for this season He's actually making pretty good bank here. So even though he's without a team, he may not be doing all that bad right now in terms of the monetary value because he was on a deal like $9.4 million and he was just injured. He's been injured like half the season and he was kind of just a bench player anyways. He played a little bit as a starter in the, the Heat finals run, but nothing too serious he was kind of just there to help out bam out of bio when he was not able to play but we got myers leonard just got like a second round pick for free and then we had to let off that money and sam Presti and the organization didn't shy away from this it's kind of obvious that he was not going to be with us unless we moved him at the trade deadline so i guess we still would have moved him but the whole plan was he was not going to be with us past the trade deadline whether it was attaching him to another deal or just buying him out or waving and stretching him and we decided to just go let's do it all at once we're gonna wave him no point in stretching this out because right now you don't really have much at stake five years down the line you don't know what the money's gonna look like and you don't know if Myers Leonard's you know 1.5 million dollars that he may still have remaining is going to end up costing you a top prospect or a major prospect in some free agency pool. So it makes sense why they just paid off right now. And we weren't going to use him. He was away from the team. And on top of that, you're able to get back down to the league guidelines of 15 players. And that's all good and dandy. They can play their next game. They can play the rest of the season carefully free if they want to. Just with those 15 guys. But I don't know if they'd really want to do that because you have Moses Brown on the doorstep. You can't not sign this guy to a full-scale contract. And we've seen what Sam Presti has done in the past. If Moses Brown is picked up, it's either going to be like in the next day or two, or it's going to be on the deadline where you need to convert two-way contracts because he did it with Lou Dort pretty much. He did it during like the lockdown almost. That was one of the only news sources of news that came out of that whole period where leagues were just completely shut down every, like everyone was in complete lockdown but yeah I mean he waited until the last second to do it and it's because you don't have to pay as much money as as you know you would before Moses Brown he's pretty much on a one-year contract already and it's like 100k him and Josh Hall they are booked for the rest of the season 50 games and they get to play the playoffs now you're gonna be doing that if you're in the bubble you're pretty much clean of that already because the month of february took up you know 
almost 22 games not exactly but even if you played every other game where when you weren't in Orlando you'd it'd probably be like 57 58 games anyway so yeah this was a one-year contract that is on dirt cheap standards and everyone's gonna take advantage of this you're not gonna upgrade someone's contract unless you feel like there's another person you could add on a two-way and give you a lot more to work upon and if Presti doesn't see that you know it kind of is what it is I guess I think there are some good pieces that are not signed right now the Orlando bubble actually has come out with a ton of great players like Elise Johnson he came out of there and he debuted for the Brooklyn Nets like 20 like a 20 and 10 game or something so it's pretty wild but there's a lot of people that you can kind of pick off and our OKC blue team I always talk about it but there's you know probably three four guys that we could bring in on a two-way contract and it might actually be worth our time I think Omer Yurt 7 probably tops that list because you know he is a center he can stretch the floor out pick and pop guy not too quick but he's a traditional big that kind of could stick around for a while so I don't see an issue in trying to get him and then you have wings like Jalen Horde or you know Rob Rob Edwards maybe to some extent but I don't know I, I think there are pieces that could definitely be worked around in the developmental league I, th- I think people aren't giving it as much credit but you can do that if you want to get rid of one of our guys upgrade Moses Brown but if they want to save the money they're just going to take their time on him and that might just be what they end up doing whenever it comes the day they need to cut somebody because they almost have to do this they need to do this it's gonna be really just a three-headed race here and there's other players there's Justin Jackson that sure you know you could try to buy him out but there's no point really you lose out on his rights anyways if you were to do that and you're going to be paying out the rest of his contract he's going to stick around no doubt about it but the last three Darius Miller Austin Rivers and Mike Muscala we don't know I think one of those three are going to get waived and when it comes to Mike Muscala he's a guy that I think any playoff contender would want he's a Ursan Ilyasova type Ursan was not in the league to start out the season. He got signed by the Jazz probably like a month ago because he's able to shoot the basketball and they need that. If he hits the buyout market, if Muscala does, he's going to have so many offers. And sure, teams weren't willing to give up second round picks, but they'll take him for free gladly if they have the roster space. Whoever loses out on the LaMarcus Aldridge sweepstakes, the you know Andre Drummond sweepstakes, They'll be looking at some of the lower tier players to kind of add back on. And I think Mike Muscala definitely is one of those players. So he would have value. And I think it's kind of just a gesture. He signed on with us when, you know, we weren't doing that hot. Like he could have left us after we just traded everybody, but he didn't want to do that. I think now you kind of let him loose. We're rebuilding. He's getting up there in age. I think he's like 29. Let him go take a shot to contend for a title because a contender would definitely bring him in with open arms so that's the first guy and then you have austin rivers too and i only say this because the last two years of his contract are not guaranteed so you're only going to be buying out the remainder of like a contract worth around 3.5 mil 3.3 mil something around there 
that's not all that bad if you don't have any future plans with him. If you want to try to trade him, though, you probably stash him just like you did with Trevor Reza this season because people would probably want him later on. And then you have Darius Miller, who I thought could be used as a trade piece, doesn't work for him, and now he's just on a $7 million expiring contract. He's 30 years old. He's a good veteran for us, and we're kind of losing out on those. George Hill was our main one outside of Al Horford. But you still need at least like three to four vets, and Darius Miller would be one of them. I would understand if they wanted to waive him, though. He's not going to provide anything for you. He's a good shooter, but we are kind of stacking up on younger shooters anyways. Like Lou Dort is becoming one. Shvi, he's a sharp shooter just in general. Justin Jackson, I guess, as well. And then even Kendrick Williams and Isaiah Roby are kind of developing the three anyways. So there's no point in bringing them in. Players now aren't just like a one-trick pony. I don't think Darius Miller is, but he doesn't have as many facets, and I don't think there's much to kind of grow off of. So if he were to be the guy that got, you know, cut off, it made complete sense. Same with those other two guys. But those are the, the three that are going to be in the buyout conversation. We already got out the obvious one in Myers Leonard. Now it might get a little bit tricky. I think long term, though, obviously you'd want Moses Brown over any of those other guys. I was just looking at like live streams of trade deadline youtubers and take it with a grain of salt because the person i was watching he he used to make like 2k rebuilds or whatever where he'd you know trade players and try to get a championship or whatever he was doing like a trade deadline reaction video and one of the live comments was asking about moses brown someone was like i'm a charlotte hornets fan can we get moses brown that is wild that teams or just fans, Charlotte fans, are asking about Moses Brown. That just tells you just a little bit about how, you know, good and how kind of widespread his name has become around NBA circles. So you're not going to let him go. If you're kind of scared, don't be. You know, don't think of this as a boneheaded move. Like, why aren't you upgrading his contract, Presty? Because it's actually pretty smart that he's waiting if he does wait because there's like no blowback he's gonna be able to play as much as you want him to he's gonna be with the team you're just not gonna be paying him and it's a little bit dirty to Moses Brown of course it is and if you're gonna be taking someone else off the books you might as well just bring him in and add another young piece but if they are at a stage where they feel like they don't need to add any more players on because of how many picks we're gonna have in these next coming drafts I'd also understand not wanting to maybe try out other people and have that potential of another solid player coming around who deserves a contract but it's going to be a little bit tight for us to say all right we'll sign you because of how many players that are already like under 24 years old who you know are good but we don't know if they have a surefire future with us anyways so I don't know if you'd want to do it I think it's probably going to be a waiting game here and we would just watch everything pan out. I think same goes with all those draft picks. I was watching or just looking at Twitter. People are kind of thinking that like we're going to use all those. We're never going to use all those. And I guess the word being fetched around was like diminishing return. We are at a point of diminishing return if we were going to make all those selections. I think we have 17 first and 17 seconds until 2027. Some of those are kind of protected, so it may dwindle, but that's around where we're at. That's that's wild. So 
yeah, we can't draft 17 first round picks and, you know, 17 second round picks. If we do, we're going to be giving them away like Houston just did with Victor Oladipo. We need to be ahead of the curve here and make some kind of massive trades. And, you know, there's the obvious ones trading up for Cade Cunningham in this draft. We don't know what the draft board is going to look like. We don't know if we're going to get, you know, crazy good lottery odds because of Shea being out, because of everyone out. We just know that, you know, getting Shea, getting the first pick would mean a lot. So if you want to try to trade up and make a Godfather offer, Sam Presti can probably do that two times over with all the stuff that we have right now. This is just draft assets. This is not players. If you start looking at them, maybe you could try to get a little bit more strained out of there to save a pick or two. But I think the picks are really, are they're going to be your main trade asset moving forward. So it's not really a case of diminishing return based on what we are going to be doing with everything if we were taking all those picks though yeah that's definitely a case of diminishing return the seconds that we got would literally be useless because we would just have to sign draft and stashes or we pick players and then ship them off for another future second round pick or just cash or something that really wouldn't help us anyways so you know you kind of just see how it works chances are a lot of those second round picks are going to be kind of trashy anyways so there shouldn't be a huge market to trade them down the line but you might find a couple hits and there might be a couple surprise teams that fall down we pretty much have picks from like half the league right now so we're gonna have some high picks and there's no doubt about that but anyways guys that is kind of just my overall view of what the thunder did yesterday tomorrow we do have a game so i might do a little bit of a preview but i might still be talking about the trade deadline and just how the landscape has been affected, what that means for Oklahoma City, stuff like that, because I am currently kind of brainstorming that for a potential blog post. But with that out the way, you guys can definitely give me feedback. You got to click on my name in the description. It takes you to my Twitter. You can hit me up on there. If not, though, you know, I might still rattle it out to you guys, and I hope you all would enjoy that one. I hope you enjoyed this episode, though, And I hope y'all have a great rest of your day. See ya.